Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 31. In this episode, Chris is joined by Bill Dykstra, Byzantine Catholic and creator of the Agios Dos podcast, via web call to discuss his converting from Roman to Ukrainian Catholicism and the importance of the example of the saints. They also share their own personal stories of Paul Sanders, a young Catholic man who died in 2008 who still inspires people today. We hope you enjoy! This is not awkward at all, is it? <laughs> no, it is not, not awkward. I'm just staring at a grown man on my computer. <laughs> Dude, welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast. We're really glad to have you on, Bill. Hey, you buddy. Hey, how are you, man? I'm quite well. I'm coming after a cold, oh, no. but that's okay. And we've had a busy, busy October here with weddings and funerals. Oh, wow. And so... It's been a, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, tr- a trip. Yeah, lately. For sure. So for sure. Now, now it's starting where, to get cold. Yeah. Now, where are you again? You're, you're in Saskatoon. Uh, Saskatoon. Okay. We're in Saskatoon. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for our listeners who are just being introduced, um, so Bill is a long time. Uh, we've, we've been kind of acquaintances, friends for a long time, but we, we had a very, uh, good mutual friend of our, actually we have kind of a few mutual friends that, uh, we had a few mutual friends. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, so we, you and I just kind of got connected through them and like, I've, I've been following your story for probably a good 10 years now. Oh my. <laughs> you know, oh well, my. I mean, yeah. So, uh, it's been kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. well, it's so funny because I just r- realized last night, I'm just like, I did, I grew up not too far away from you. Yeah. You know, sure. essentially my dad was, you're in St. Thomas, correct? I am. Yeah. And my dad was born in St. Thomas. Wow. That's crazy. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Now, now you grew up in Stratford, right? I grew up in Godrich. Oh, in Godrich. Like in, okay. in Huron County, like Godrich Clinton area. Yeah. 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 So, so how did you get connected with our mutual friend, Father Steve Marsh, and and Paul Sanders? Uh, core. It core. was through okay. those core retreats um, back when we were in high school. That's okay. how it all happened. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So, Bill, tell us a little bit about your story. Okay. So. I first got serious into my faith in 2002, and it happened in and around my grandfather's passing away. He was a devout Catholic. He was a Knight of Columbus, um, and I had always associated him with being a devout Catholic, be- like simply because he'd always put more money in the uh, in the collection than anyone else I knew. Like when I was a kid, I saw 20 bucks go into the collection plate and I'm like, oh, wow, grandpa's into it. Like, you know, Um, and so when he passed away, uh, I was I was 17 years old and 16, 17, and I was asked to be a pallbearer. And so I did. And I remember going up the steps to St. Joseph's Church in Clinton and all of his brother knights were lined up the sides and they all pulled out their swords and made an archway. 
And there was something about that image of walking through the archway of swords up into the church where I associated my grandfather's Catholicism with the fruits of his life that I'm seeing right here. And it was like, oh, this is, there's something here. There's something about this. And a lot of people have their conversions and they're like St. Paul. They fall on their butts and they have, you know, scales fall from their eyes. But I feel like for me, I had like a weird kind of conversion where it was like a dog that tilts his head to the side. And he's like, (laughs) you know, like, um, and so I kind of feel like my, my ongoing conversion from that has always taken that kind of characteristic as like a dog tilting its head to the side. Uh, And so from, from then on, uh, I was involved in youth and young adult ministry um, for the next so many years. And then it was in, so for, I'm going to skip ahead a whole bunch and I'm going to go to, I think it was 2016, if we're going to talk about my transfer to the Eastern Church, because um, it was, I believe it was 2016, that year we're in Good Friday. And the Annunciation lined up together. Maybe it was 2015. I don't quite recall. But anyways, I went to uh, a Good Friday service. And then I was invited, because I believe in the Roman Church, they just transfer Annunciation to the next Sunday. But in the Eastern Church, they just do it all on the same day. Um, And so I was invited later that day to a Ukrainian Greek Catholic parish here in Saskatoon to go to uh, Annunciation, to uh, their service. And when I came into the church, I noticed something I've never seen this before where what they do in the Eastern Church is that on Good Friday is they put out the shroud. Now, the shroud is, it, it has a depiction on it of Jesus entombed. And they put it up at the front on a little table. And when everyone comes into the church um, from the Good Friday service on, they get on their hands and knees and they crawl up to the shroud and they sign themselves three times and they put their heads to the ground as they, as they approach it. And then when they get to the shroud, they kiss the wounds of Jesus. And then when they've finished, they back away on their knees, crossing and bowing three more times. And that image rocked me and made me feel, it wasn't like, Oh, I, that, that was like a very touching thing. It made me feel very uncomfortable. Because I think at that point, I've been very comfortable in my faith. And I remember, I didn't do it that time because it was like someone else's tradition and I felt awkward. But um, I remember that night being awake at like two or three in the morning when there are people who are still at the church who are venerating the shroud throughout the night. That's what they do. And I just kept thinking, why am I not there right now? And... The this one line that had it like it kind of emerged out of my head, it was, it's not okay to not be holy. And I kept thinking that over and over again. And so what happened from that was I uh I began to go to that same parish, and there's something about my Christianity that was like re-educated, that was um maybe I don't want to say brought to the next level, but it was, you know, I think worship changes you. 
And I think that when we're starting to attend to the divine liturgy, the divine liturgy began to change us. Like me and Sarah was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife. And I remember there was a point where Sarah, we were talking about this transfer. And she's like, I can't argue with what has happened. She's like, I just can't argue with it. And so at one point, her and I are planning to get married. And I wanted to be married within the tradition that I've been going to church in. And so I made the steps for a transfer. Do you want to hear about how that transfer process takes place, like logistically? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So what you have to do um, to transfer rights is that you need to send a letter to your diocese, your Roman Catholic diocese, and you have to ask for permission to do this. And you have to give your reasons. And your reasons have to be good reasons. Um, They have to be for your spiritual benefit and all that kind of good stuff. You can't change rights because it's like, oh, I don't like Romans anymore or something like that or, you know, being sour. It's like they read your letter and the bishop decides yeah, okay, it's it's okay for you to go. And when you write your bishop, your when you write to your Roman Catholic bishop, you write to the um, uh, Ukrainian Catholic bishop, saying, "Hey, I've wrote a letter to them because I want to join your church." Um, and then what they'll do is they'll notify the eparchy. The eparchy will say, as they did with me, "Come on in for a meeting. We'll get down to meet you." And this process can take up to a year. Um, it didn't with me because I kind of hounded them a little bit because of <laughs> my wedding. I wanted to get married in the, in that church. So um, what happened was it was really funny. It was in February and I went to this meeting and I was really nervous because I'd never met Bishop Brian before of the, of the eparchy. And it was like, for me, kind of climactic. You know, like, here's the moment. And it's really this legalistic (laughs) thing that needs to get done. Right. And I sit down with him and he looks at the letter and he's just like, yeah, I don't see why not. (laughs) And I was was like, oh, I thought I was going to get grilled. I thought I was going to be, you know, questioned. You just want to be a priest or something like that. But then none of that happened. And so um, and so. And yeah, and so they send a letter and it's put in your file at the parish that you were baptized in that this person is now an Eastern Catholic. And I, I love the, the Eastern Church. I love divine liturgy. I love uh, our saints. I love everything about it. And it's really just a love for Jesus and a love of being Catholic. Yeah. Dude, yeah. dude that's, that's so cool. That's so cool. So, so Sarah, Sarah, at least from the beginning of the the podcast was saying that she hasn't yet switched rights herself. Is that still the case or has she made the jump? Yeah, it's, it's still the case. Um, there's no practical advantage for her at this point because she's married to me. She's technically, you know, in the church already, just not on paper. Okay. Um, and so, and so is there hasn't been that, impetus to do that but sometimes as a gesture she might want to do it one day um but yeah she hasn't yet yeah that's cool that's cool so um one of the things that i thought was kind of cool too listening to your podcast was uh sarah was saying that she was learning how to write icons is that still a thing oh totally we have she has written three icons i believe okay she's done you start with the guardian angel 
And then you go to um, what she's done next. What did she do? She's, she's done St. Nicholas and St. John the Forerunner. And so we have those three legit icons in our house. And it's so weird because to look at like a print of an icon, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But when there's something that draws you in about a real hand painted icon that, and, and it's so weird because it's like, you can, you can sit down with it and almost get entranced by it. It's so neat. And now she's working on St. Michael, the Archangel. That's um, awesome. Yeah. She's, she's in a class and she's being taught right now. And, and um, it's kind of funny because I think I'm, I'm a little more industrial in my, in my approach to things. And so, and, and her not so much. So I'm like, I just want her to pump out these icons and we just have tons of icons, <laughs> but no, it's a process, you know, like, yeah. Uh, spiritual. So yeah, she's yeah. still writing icons and I, uh, I have big plans for my wife with her. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I gotta tell you, like for me, like I've always had a big love for, for the Eastern Rite and for, mm. for iconography and things like that. I remember when I was in uh, the seventh or eighth grade, shortly after I had my initial conversion um, or reversion, whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. um, I ended up visiting the, um, the Orthodox Cathedral in Washington, D.C. And, oh, okay. I mean, and it is wall to wall icons and i i remember walking in there and i feel like that was a turning point for me in terms of even just understanding what the liturgy is because Mm. it it just having the saints surround you as you're adoring god you know it's just it's such a cool thing in it and you are um one of our previous um podcast guests uh steve picorni he's also um uh, Eastern right. And he was saying, you know, like how looking into the eyes of these icons, you know, like we've become a culture that doesn't know how to connect with one another. And the just iconography itself is it forces you <laughs> to become essentially more human mm. because you are essentially looking into the eyes of these saints all through all through divine liturgy, you know, and it's yeah, I don't know. Like, do you find like that's the case for you that like when you see icons that it leads you into a deeper sense of prayer and and worship of God? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, the eyes will get you. Like, and it's um, it can be uncomfortable sometimes because you have this distinct feeling of not just looking at something, but something looking back at you and seeing you and all of your stuff. And so, you know, for the, for good or for bad. And, uh, so it can be uncomfortable and it can be like pretty, uh, pretty intimidating. So I, I knew, I know this priest who said that he just liked preparing the boards for icons and that's all he, he really enjoyed doing for the longest time. And he realized it's because he was afraid to look upon the face of the Lord and, and, and stand before him um, face to face that he was afraid of that. So he was just, you know, 
delegating himself to the boards and that's it. <laughs> and so it was just like, dude, that's like, that's a slayer right there. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Dude. Yeah. I, I just absolutely love it. And like, so when I heard that Sarah was learning that I was like, what, what a gift that is for you as a husband too. And she's, she's also like incredibly talented in other ways too. Like she's, she's a musician, right? She does music yeah. stuff. Does music. Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. So um, we hear often, especially since John Paul II, you know, that famous line that the church needs to breathe with both lungs, the East and the West. I don't think that's really been realized. Like, how, how do you think, like, what do you think of that quote? And like, how do you think that quote can be better realized? Well, you know what? It's kind of funny because after becoming Eastern Christian or like Byzantine Catholic, you realize that there's a great diversity amongst the Eastern churches. And so that line breathing with both lungs is like, it's not real. Like one, we're like 1% of the church. I've heard someone say, so that's a really tiny lung. Um, <laughs> and, and also I, um, I think that I, I feel bad criticizing something the Pope has said. um but like for me it's there's a lot more nuance than just another side of the lung um i think a lot of the times i think you might be right that we're not realizing um or or really looking to the east a lot of the times as roman catholics because i i lived in winnipeg for 10 years which is the metropolitan sea of canada and I barely came into contact as a, as a young Catholic with the Eastern church. Um, and so I think that, I think that, yeah, there's, there's needs to be a more nuanced understanding of what the Eastern churches are, because even, even saying like Eastern Catholic, like, yes, I'm an Eastern Catholic, but I probably have more in common with a Latin right Catholic than I do with a Syro Malabar Catholic. Yet me and the Syro Malabar are both Eastern Catholics, you know? Um, and so I, I just think that there could be a better education of what we actually are and the diversity and to know that it's not just bilateral and to know also that, you know, a lot of the time, these saints that I'm talking about every day that are from, you know, the early times of the church, they're, they're Roman saints just as much as they are Eastern saints. And so and so that's the shared heritage right there. And there's a lot more in common there than I think we realize. Um, and so I think those are some of the things. And I think also when you when you learn about spirituality um, in, in either either uh, camp I think you you start to realize that there's a lot of crossover. I know um, if you read what's his name, Gula Gula Grange. Yeah, Gula um, Grange. Sorry, I missed it up. But uh, <laughs> it's three ages of the spiritual life. He begins with uh, the purgative stage, right? I believe, yeah. and that's all of the Eastern fathers as well. They say that the spiritual life begins with with repentance and with tears. Um, and so it's kind of funny that, you know, we set up these dichotomies a lot of the time and they're not really all that different, maybe different in expression, but the truth isn't East or West, you know, the truth is one. And so, yeah, those are just some things I think that I think that your question kind of 
inspired in my head because I'm always criticizing that line, breathing with both <laughs> lungs. And I always cringe just a little bit when someone uses it. So it's very funny that you, uh, that you asked me that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I gotta tell you, like for me, like I, I find that I, I find a lot of life in reading stuff, even essentially from the Orthodox side of things like the, the Philokalia, um, you oh, know, yeah. I, I, I love that. I love that book mm-hmm. so much. Well, it's not just one book, it's multiple books, but I just absolutely yeah. love it. And it always knocks me on my butt reading that, you know, and, um, like you were saying the, you know, the, the, the way of, of, of spirituality in both sides, like you, you definitely like you, if you read, uh, the way of the pilgrim, um, have you, have you read that book? Mm. Right. I started reading that book. I didn't finish it for whatever reason. Um, yeah. I think, I think I finished right before, or I stopped reading right before his trip to Jerusalem. Okay. So he, so yeah, I mean, even, even in his story, you kind of see kind of a, the lived experience of what you were saying that the, he goes through those, those three stages of the interior life, it seems, yes. you know, yes. and but but again, it's not put in those you know Roman quote unquote terms, um, and yeah no I just I think it's so cool and I think we have a lot to learn um, from the Eastern right and especially when it comes to things like the focus on repentance and uh, the focus on conquering self um, and and destroying the vices you know like and the passions. Yep. You don't hear a lot of talk like that, especially in you know Novus Ordo circles. Um, but I mean, you do hear it more so in in the the Latin uh, Latin mass crowd. But you know, even still, there's I mean, how many times in in the Byzantine liturgy do you hear "Lord have mercy"? <laughs> you know, oh, like, totally, yeah. You know, so yeah. there's there's that recognition of just that need for. Uh, for that repentance um, and 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 the constant recognition of our own sins, um, mm. yeah, no, I just love that. So I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit. So, um, like we said at the beginning, um, you and I share a a few mutual friends, but uh, in particular, one mutual friend by the name of Paul Sanders, who um, sadly passed away in two thousand and eight, and you you wrote this really awesome blog that I'm gonna link in the show notes um, about him and about his um, about the the way that he inspired you. Um, when I was thinking about this podcast and the fact that you know what this month signifies, I was thinking about the fact that we don't just always have to look at um, people of the distant past, these great saints from, you know, 300 AD, um, we have people like Paul, who even to this day, if you go on Facebook, onto, he still has a, a remembrance Facebook, people still go on there and ask him to pray for them, which is kind of an interesting thing to see. You know, Paul, it, you really see that Paul in his Catholic faith. Uh, pa- Paul was from a very, you know, from a young age, really took his faith seriously. Um, but, and, and, but he became really, you know, later on in his life really became an inspiration to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, maybe, I don't know. Do you have any, 
interesting or inspiring stories about Paul that you can recall that kind of inspired you in your own faith? Oh man, that's, he was such a big part of, of my becoming Catholic. Well, not getting into the Catholic faith. Um, really, I've never, I never, I had any biological brothers, but there's no question in my mind that Paul was my brother. Um, because uh, being so close to the man um, and always, always our friendship, I think, was centered around that highest good that is God. Um, I think that his time in Winnipeg, we, we had a, we were roommates in Winnipeg. I'll, I'll share this story where he I think he really understood the little way he was like he was like my St. Therese in a sense. Um, St. <laughs> Therese is also my St. Therese, but Paul was also a reflection of that because he was a carpet cleaner uh, in Winnipeg um, for years. And he really even, even carpet cleaning, he internalized in a really special way because someone asked him at one point what he would do if he was called to clean carpets at the Morgenthaler clinic. And, and his answer today still makes me feel uncomfortable. His answer was, I would do twice a good a job because <laughs> no one will be changed because no one will be changed if we don't love. And that's wow. to me, it's just like this, this moment, this kind of very Pauline moment that, always challenges me and makes me feel very uncomfortable because there's a point where it's just like love, love makes you think dangerous things. And so that thing that has echoed every time I think about Paul, those are one of the, one of the stories. And, and I, there's actually has been a story that, that I remember Paul talking about in our kitchen one day that it's been like reverberating for me lately where, and it's very embarrassing because it's very like, very like emotional and like kind of mamby pamby, but in the best way, because he was talking about the love of God, the father for his children and our, our, our worship and our, and our, um, are coming to God is like giving him uh, a a picture that we drew. And it's like, you know, those things that kids draw where it's like scribbled and everything. It doesn't look like anything. And he looks at it and he says, this is amazing. I'm putting this up on the fridge. And that's what our worship of him and, and our prayers for him is like. It's like this dumb coloring, you know, mess. <laughs> but that he still honors it and he still loves it. And just reflecting on that, on the love of the father, that he doesn't see us trying. And though we may fail, he, he doesn't want to punish us for trying. He loves us for trying. And that is something that I've been thinking about lately. And so Paul, in his little nerdy quips, um, it's still affecting me today. Um, yeah. 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 Now there. So one of the things that you said in your blog, and I and I I found it incredibly well worded. So I wanna I wanna uh, quote it here. You said, um, 
there was a certain vivaciousness about Paul. He sought to integrate Catholicism in his life with a sense of carelessness. To demonstrate this point in high school, he had illustrated a portrait of the world sitting in a well of a toilet with an arm reaching up to flush the lever. A little on the nose and adolescent, but you literally get the picture. He was someone unsatisfied with the status quo and was eager to accept an alternative to it. Um, yeah. I I found that so true like so so for me like i i grew up really in the music scene like in the punk and the hardcore crowd um and i think of all the people that i've met paul was the only one who really truly personified what it meant to be punk and i think he is what the punks desperately wanted to be totally um I, I think Paul and his very person uh, just lived his life, like you said, like in a very detached way. Um, he really couldn't care less what people thought of him, and he would defend Christ. He would defend the unborn with every ounce of his being. I, I recall one amazing story, too, if I could share it where mm-hmm. uh, so he he and i worked in youth ministry i was uh i was a youth coordinator at the time and he was one of our core leaders and we were driving one of our teens home after a retreat or something and the the teen was sharing how his teacher had said to him uh, and to the class that there really wasn't anything special about catholicism all religions are essentially the same and you know as long as you love god and love people then then you're doing the right thing and paul without uh skipping a beat this is kind of like at, as you know um we were dropping off this kid he turns to him and he says next time you hear someone say that to you I want you to yell at them, and I mean yell at them. Quit emptying the gospel of its power. Mm. And and I just oh, again, man. That, that, <laughs> that just has stuck with me for so long. You know that you know whenever I am tempted to give a, sometimes a pa- very pastoral quote unquote answer and, and and be afraid of offending somebody, I'm always reminded of Paul. Because Paul really didn't didn't care what the other person would feel. He he wanted them to know the truth out of love, of course. I don't think we would ever, you and I would ever say that we ever heard Paul uh, preach the gospel out of anything but love. Um, mm. But but you know what I mean. So I I just mm-hmm. yeah I find I found his life still to this day incredibly inspiring, you know. And so yeah, it's it's. It's cool, like tying in back with what we were talking about before with with your podcast. You know, we we have these fantastic examples of the saints, but there are there are saints in this world too that um, totally. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's important that we shine the light on these people um, mm-hmm. and and whatnot because yeah, especially in in today's age, you don't get to see a lot of that, um, and so especially for especially for me when I when I've kind of felt uh, lukewarm or whatnot in my faith, looking at the lives of the saints has been what reignites that that fervor oh, for our Lord. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually have found – I've been reading this book. Not, it's not really a book. It's more like a little tract on prayer and holiness, and it's by, it's by an Orthodox – theologian a recent one he's really good 
I think his name is Dimitir Stanilai. And and he has this little tract on prayer and holiness. And I just found this because it blew it put me on it knocked me on my butt, I think, when I read it. And and so th- this is how it goes. It is the image of the living and personal absolute being who became man that is reestablished in the person of the saint. By being so truly human, he has reached a dizzy height of perfection in God while remaining completely at home with men. The saint is one who is engaged in free dialogue with God and with men. His transparency reveals the dawn of the divine eternal light in which human nature is to reach its fulfillments. He is the complete reflection of the humanity of Christ. And I read that and I was just like, wow, wow. I was like, that is a very poignant and very articulate way. And I think very almost creative way of understanding what a saint is. Someone who is of both places. And I think that's how Paul understand understood his life as someone who needed to occupy both spaces that you're here on earth and you're completely comfortable with, you know, being with people, being present to people and yet being completely um, desiring to be in union with God. Both at the same time. I think that is a, a very interesting way of seeing Paul. And I think the nonconformity is like the probably the main thing that I could see him being important for our day. Because when I wrote that thing from my blog, it was when Joshua Harris, that that writer, uh, and a whole bunch of other people were were falling from their their heights in the Christian world, um, you know, renouncing their religion and all this kind of stuff. And I remember Paul having read that book and loved it. Uh, I did not read the book, but I thought, I was thinking to myself, what happened to this guy, you know, who is now renouncing his faith and embracing the world? And what makes him different from Paul? What makes Paul different? And so it was that, I think, rebelliousness that, that he maintained throughout his life. And I think in a certain way, we all need to have that rebelliousness, even against our own selves. I think, you know, I think undermining our own very selves is the most punk thing you can do. You know, (laughs) undermining, (laughs) you know, undermining your own sin and looking inside your own heart. And I think that we're so outwardly focused and that's not a bad thing. You know, evangelization is good. You know, wanting to tell people the good news is good. But I think that. When we understand that there is also an interior life that really needs to be occupied, we start to understand that, oh, when I fix myself, I fix the entire world because we're all connected, you know? And so when I let grace conquer sin in my life, that is like, that is world changing. Yeah. Very true. That's all I got to say. Yeah. No, it's it's funny too. Like, have you ever heard of... um, death to the world before yes i have they're like an obscure orthodox group aren't they yeah yeah so like so death like, to the world was like yeah like it it was kind of born out of the punk scene and like it was a bunch of punks 
that discovered orthodoxy and then all left and became monks. And then they would come back to shows and hand out zines. I don't know. No, no, if you remember amazing. zines, but they would hand like zines. essentially orthodox zines to the punk kids and like try to <laughs> to bring them into the faith. <laughs> but again, like like you said, it is the most punk thing to battle the self and to and to rebel yeah. against the self. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's so so cool. Yeah, so that that was really the the hard. Part of of what I wanted to talk about today is you know um, right I, I think I think you know for our listeners you know you don't don't underestimate the kind of impact that your own witness can be to the world too you know and um, oh totally yeah becoming um, a person who loves others and and loves God above all things you know like you you can you can in, impact change uh, in a lot of people's lives so um, oh, anyway totally. yeah Bill thanks so much for joining me man this has been great hey no problem hey can you, yeah. you can you tell us a little bit about how to get in contact with what you're doing and uh yeah well um me and my wife we run the podcast called the agios dose it's kind of going through a uh a uh an identity crisis right now because how it all started i how it all started was i began doing the uh, Eastern Liturgy of the Hours. Essentially, I was doing the hours, and we have tropars, which are like um, they're like antiphons, and they reflect whatever saint of the day it is. And so I was starting to read all these different saints and see all these different names that I've never heard of before. And so that was kind of one of the impetuses for me wanting to do the Agios Dose. So like a a daily saint of the day, which turned out to be way too much work. <laughs> and so I only yeah. do them periodically. <laughs> and Sarah, this this was this was going on during Great Lent last year. And Sarah's like, I have an idea for a podcast and I want to call it the sword in the cloud. And I'd talk about this and that. And I'm like, well, let's put these ideas together. And so we have a sword in the cloud.com is the name of the the main place where you find our website and maybe some blog posts eventually. Uh, but you can find the Agios I think on all the different uh, podcasting apparati there are out there. And I'm going to be doing, I think two a month for the next little while upcoming sneak peek. I think for November, we're going to do St. Josephat and St. John Chrysostom. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think St. John Chrysostom is going to be a big job, and I'm going to have to simplify it some somehow because his writings are voluminous. So, yeah. yeah. So you can that's how you can find us. That's a little sneak peek of what we're doing. What has been – I have a question for you. Sure. So, so all of these I, – I get some feedback every now and then and people say you know this was my favorite episode or that was my favorite episode and they're always they always really surprise me because they're never my favorite episode and i'm so you've been a listener so what which one would you say has been one that has stood out for you which saint so i I know i really liked saint elizabeth the wonder worker oh very cool I like I like the original like the ones in the beginning. I've listened to like I've listened to a bunch on like different platforms. So like sometimes I'll listen oh. like on Spotify. Yeah, I mean mm. the thing that I found very interesting was the um 
yeah, like so Saint Elizabeth the Wonder Worker and Saint George the Great Martyr, because that that was a like that opened my eyes to really understanding Saint George in a way that yeah mm. that I hadn't. So yeah, oh, cool. I would say those two. Like yeah, man. What's really cool, and I was talking to Sarah about this last night. It's really cool doing these stories of the saints because in no other way, unless you're at a live interview, you're never being shown a person while that person is with you right there. Right. And so here you are listening to a podcast about, you know, St. Vladimir or, you know, uh, Constantine, and he's right there with you as you're listening to it. And there is no other experience that you're going to have unless you're at a live, you know, interview of someone still living right. um, where that takes place. And I was just like, that's kind of a cool thing that I've never talked to or thought about before. Yeah. 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 Saint, uh, the one on St. Olga was also really good. I remember. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like it, it's one of those things where like it, you know, not all the stories hit you at the at the time but like sometimes you know like you'll go back and you'll listen you're like oh yeah it's kind of it's kind of like reading the scriptures too right like you can read or or like any spiritual book you, you know you can listen to a story and it just doesn't necessarily click right now but then you go back and you're like oh yeah dude like this is the stuff you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah it's it's interesting how saints they yeah like they will they will follow you and they they won't necessarily give up on you but they'll they'll find you when you're yeah. ready yeah, yeah totally is absolutely. is there a is there a byzantine saint that you really absolutely love that has kind of captured your attention oh man you know what when i did this the episode on saint demetrios i felt like a call almost like i felt like an impression that maybe i should do saint demetrios um so he's been one lately that's been kind of great and he's not strictly byzantine um one of our saints that i really love um is blessed vasil blessed vasil velichovsky he was uh in ussr like soviet camps because he was a, a bishop in the ukrainian greek catholic church and he was tortured and you know brutalized for years and then when he was released they flew him to winnipeg uh, in 1979 wow. and he there he lived a year he lived a year there and then he died and uh i think it was maybe 20 30 years ago they uh they dug him up and he's incorrupt whoa and he's in winnipeg <laughs> what? he's in winnipeg i think there's a toe a toe that was uh, frostburnt or whatever. What do you call it when you're? Um, anyways, the toe fell off, but that was the toe was dead before he was dead. Um, <laughs> but he's still, but he's incorrupt and he's in Winnipeg. And uh, and I have a little icon on the wall of Blessed Vasil, and there are stories about him um, where after his time in. In the Soviet camps, when he came back and he came to Canada and he saw kind of the lethargy of the Canadian church, his homilies would just be him sobbing and crying. Wow. And it was, it's, <laughs> he, I love, I love Blessed Vassil. Uh, I spent time in Winnipeg. I've been to his shrine a few times and 
he's he's someone that I think all Catholics and especially us in Canada need to pay more attention to. And yeah. uh, if you're ever in Winnipeg, go to go to the shrine of Blessed Vasile at St. Joseph's Church. It'll That's be awesome. uh, it'll be a real treat, be an education. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, when it comes to saints like that that are incorrupt, um, like do they do they show like do they have them in like in a in a glass casket or something like that? You know, or, I don't know. I know in Europe, you know, there's all those you know incorrupt saints that they have in those glass caskets, and you can go and see them, and some look better than others, you know. Um, <laughs> but with Blessed Vasil, they don't have them in a glass casket. Um, I, I, I don't know all the details around that. Um, yeah. But um, they they don't. They have him entombed, and you can go in front of his tomb and ask him for prayers. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So so how does like the Eastern Rite deal with things like relics and whatnot? This is totally like tangential. I but like like do they do they have the same kind of. Uh, like tradition like we would like where we would where we put them in reliquaries and things like that and then show them well i know that for our church we do practice and have reliquaries we have uh relics of two saints uh saints um olympia and laurentia well they're, they're venerables technically i think are blessings but they were martyrs in ukraine uh during the past century and we have some of their congregation here, and we've built an unworldly, beautiful, awesome shrine to them um, where you can go for prayers every Sunday night and, um, and venerate the relics. Um, and we have them in these gold little cases, and their breastbones are in there. We also have the ashes of an awesome saint, um, Blessed Amelian. He was a Ukrainian Greek Catholic priest and like father of like six and he died in a concentration camp, um, much like Maximilian Kolbe did, because he was he was hiding uh, Jewish people, and he was faking um, baptismal certificates for them to say that they're Christians and all this stuff. And so we have his ashes, and I've definitely felt his presence at his ashes before. So there's that. When it comes to incorruptibles, I I once read. And I don't know if this is true and practiced in our church that if ever like a monk or holy person is dug up and they find that, you know, he hasn't decomposed, what they'll first do is pray exorcism prayers over the body and rebury them and dig them back up a month later. And so what the what what the purpose is, is to make sure that this isn't some kind of trick of the devil. And so, like, what faith is that? Like, you <laughs> you dig up this holy person, and he's totally cool, and he's totally, like, looking great. But it's like, but let's see if this is actually from God. It's like, yeah. that takes faith, I think, you know? I'd be yeah. pretty I'd be pretty eager to just be like, let's put him in a glass casket. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I've, I read that somewhere. I don't, I don't know if it's actually practiced in, like, universally, but yeah. that was just That's- a funny thing that I remembered. Yeah. That's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I uh yeah. I I I want to be a saint someday. I don't know how possible it's going to be, but I really want to be a saint someday. Oh, right. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> when I was confirmed, when I was confirmed, I was um I chose the name Bruno, Saint Bruno, and the Carthusians 
have this clause, I think, so I don't know the correct way of saying it, but that one of the promises they make is that they'll never be canonized. That all of the good works they do will be for the Lord and not for their own glory. And wow. I'm like, maybe I should put that in my will. But I'm like, Bill, who are you kidding? No one's going to be upset that you put in your will that, oh, this guy can't be canonized. Like, it just seems like false piety, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> like no one's going to be worried about you being too holy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there, and then there's Saint Therese, right? Who's like, I'm going to be a saint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is, but it's just like, yeah, you are going to be a saint. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clear. It's pretty yeah. clear. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Cool. Awesome. Well, Bill, dude, this has been a fantastic podcast. Thanks again so much for joining me, dude. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for uh, for chatting with me and you know asking all your great questions and. I look forward to hearing more from you guys. I've been listening here and there, and uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. The theology of the buddy. You should use the word buddy more, though, I think. That's my one criticism, (laughs) is that I I don't hear hey buddy enough, you know? (laughs) You're right. You gotta get that into your your lexicon. But that would that would just make us sound really Canadian, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, oh, it would be. Oh, oh yeah, hey buddy, uh, how's it going there, there bud? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go out for a rip later. <laughs> You're not my buddy, friend. You're not my friend, buddy. <laughs> I think that's yeah. I forget where that's from, but oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, again, thanks so much, everybody. Definitely check out the Agiostos. It's uh, on all all uh, all platforms, pretty much, I think, uh, for the download. Um, and you can find them on the Sword in the Cloud. And definitely follow. Do you guys have like a Facebook page as well, or anything like that? Totally. Social yeah, media. Got a Facebook page. Uh, the Sword in the Cloud is on Facebook. Okay. And so is Hot Dogs and Scotch, my blog. Yes, yes. Oh, definitely check out that blog. It's really good. I, you're a very gifted writer, dude. I love it. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. Awesome. So yeah, definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks again, dude. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Do you have a favorite saint that is relatively unknown? Message us on Facebook or DM on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy. Find us on Twitter at Trad Friends or email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. You can also send us a voicemail via Facebook Messenger. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Would you also please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes? We'd greatly appreciate it as it helps us to get noticed within the larger podcast community. Next week, we are joined by Katie Ruvalcaba, a convert to the Catholic faith and live stream personality and food streamer. What made her convert? Mormons. That's right. If you want to know more, you're just going to have to tune in. Make sure you're subscribed so you'll know when it comes out. We'll save you a seat at the table. New episodes are released every Wednesday. So until then, stay tratty!